Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to the 20th episode of the Inferno Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Scott, with my co-host, Seth Sabalas, legendary Suns player, and also with Dr. Patrick Patillo, a.k.a. Mr. Orange, superfan of the Footprint Center, the Suns games. Uh, this week, we got a lot to talk about. It's Christmas week. It's a lot, milestone episode, pretty much, right, Patrick? Definitely. Yeah, 20 episodes this year since yep. we started in, I believe it was March, was our first episode. And said came on uh, a month ago. Uh, this is actually December 22nd, 2022. Happy holidays, everybody. Uh, the other night, we were against the Lakers when the Suns blew them out by 25 on Monday. Uh, it was the first of a back-to-back for the Suns uh, before they lost the next game to the lowly Wizards. And there was the Montel Jordan uh, performance at halftime. Cedric, I remember in a Bad Magazine article, you remember there was a spot where they used to have the pictures of celebrities and athletes together? Right. 1995, maybe 96, I saw a picture of you and Montel Jordan together on the Lakers court. Do you remember that picture? That you put? Yeah, he sang the uh, national anthem. Uh, I think it was 1995. and. Uh... We knew each other before he went to Sarah High School, uh, played ball a little bit. You know, he's 6'8", you know, athletic, uh, you know, banger a little bit. So uh, the fact that, you know, we both, you know, we weren't stars on our teams, <laughs> so to speak, in high school. So the yeah. fact that we both made it regardless of, of what uh, profession was pretty cool. So we, we, we wanted to lock that picture in. Yeah, I remember you were neck and neck, basically, that picture, you know, face to face. You were basically like giving a pound to each other. And what basically surprised me was that he wasn't exaggerating when he said in his uh, enduring classic, this is how we do it, that 6'8", he stood. And you being 6'8", it makes sense that you were neck and neck. And I was just surprised by that when I saw the photo. Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, and even the photo, uh, we laugh about it now because he's, He's math focused. Like I said, we grew up in LA and and to be in the forum was a huge thing. And the fact that he's in the forum singing the national anthem, you, you could even I don't know, we can show the picture, but it's it's uh it's on my wall in the house. Uh he's focused. I mean, he's he got his game face. It's <laughs> no, yeah. no, no smiling, it's no, you know, no goofing around. He's focused to make sure he hits all his notes. Yeah, man. He has shades on in that picture, from what I recall, too. You know you're cool and you're living at the height of your fame when you got shades on inside the arena. <laughs> Most people wear them like that when they sing an anthem so they can read the words off the teleprompter on the Jumbotron because that's, that's a hard song to sing. Oh, period. yeah. But the fact that, you know, everybody's quiet and standing and, you know, some are saluting, some have the hand over the heart and you're the main focus. Sometimes you 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 can't really look around because you'll start singing about something that's looking around and right. you words up easily. Yeah, it's true. I, I can never thought of it that way in which most people want to sing the national anthem, but 
they need to get it right by keeping their eyes locked in without people noticing that their eyes are wandering towards the teleprompter or whoever's showing the words in the arena, right? In, in the Suns arena, it's actually the top right corner or top left corner away from where they're face, uh, facing the crowd. Uh, first topic we want to discuss, I'm literally outside. I just want to let everybody know that I am recording this from the Nike TOC girls basketball tournament tournament of champions it's always uh there's twice a year in july and also then there's in december uh so this has actually got a lot of the girls in the country uh from uh all over so i, I love covering girls basketball high school level and also women's WNBA. Uh, i definitely give it props so i enjoy being here but it's way out in east mesa that's way far out there anyway matt ishbia the new Suns majority owner. This guy has a lot of basketball history. Robert Sarver stands by him. I don't know if that adds a lot of weight, but sold it for, uh, accepted an offer for a record $4 billion on Tuesday. That was just announced by the Suns. And there was actually a statement from Ishbia and his brother, Justin, who actually has a stake in United uh, Wholesale Mortgage, the biggest mortgage lender in the country. Uh, that they are going to basically have Matt as the majority owner and the alternative governor is going to be his brother, Justin. And this is basically a changing of the guard amid Robert Sarver's suspension for one year from the NBA. He has no access to the footprint center or anything involving the Suns and Mercury, and he has to pay a $10 million fine. What are your thoughts on Matt Ishbia and the eye test? Any of y'all can step out and go first. Yeah, uh, for me, uh, I'll leave this one said, just uh, excitement to have a refresh, right? And everything that uh, we've been going through, you know, culturally, everyone will have their opinion of Robert Sarver, who he was as a person, uh, but definitely those that have been here as long as I have as a fan, but as, as well as those that have worked for the organization for that long, you could feel the culture shift when Colangelo sold the team and then Sarver came in and that looked very different. Um, obviously, I would say most would say from a more positive to a less positive. Yeah. And um, now the expectation would be that this um, culture shift is, is very much welcoming, warm, exciting. And so, you know, for me as a fan of the team and the community, excited to have somebody that I, I don't obviously know him from, from anyone else, but just a passion that I've seen from the research that I've done about him as an individual within his uh, professional business, as well as uh, his passion for basketball and uh, the success, obviously, um, at, that he had at Michigan State and playing under, you know, Tom Izzo um, is, is it, it kind of equates to me of um, everyone watches a Clipper owner, you know, and, and how Steve yeah. Ballmer, his energy and how he acts. Um, everyone's their own person, but, um, you know, some of the similarities for someone that's obviously played the game, played at a high level and has that, that type of passion and excitement uh, from an owner perspective is something that I'm, I just rejuvenated and uh, really excited to see him come in and what other changes he makes, you know, overall. Um, there's a lot of reports out there, obviously, from things that are stemming from, uh, you know, that NBA investigation and the report that came out and then some cultural issues that could still be there with some uh, executives within the organization. So I'll also be excited to see what that looks like once he gets in here and what type of footprint uh, and handprint he puts on the organization and other areas that are not just on the basketball side. Sure. You said... It's huge that um, anytime you get a former athlete to be 
uh, a participant in a pro sport that he actually was involved in is huge. Uh, this is, will be my third um, opportunity of a, of an ownership change. I was uh, uh, in Dallas uh, when they changed from uh, Ross Perot Jr. to Mark Cuban. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was uh, not that Ross Perot Jr. was uh, uh, not a good owner. It just, you know, it, it, it just was, I wouldn't say stale, but it was kind of stiff. And Mark Cuban kind of lets you relax a little bit. Uh, it was funny because we all knew Mark Cuban. We knew where his seats were. We didn't know his name. And we didn't know that he was uh, taking ownership. So uh, when he, after the sale had went through and he walked in the locker room, all all of the players just start laughing tremendously hard because right. we knew the guy was always on the referees. We we with him out and about in Dallas at some at some places, restaurants and stuff, having a cool time. He he give high fives. We never really knew his name, but the, when he when he walked in, I, I mean, I, I was next to Michael Finley. Our lockers were next to each other. We just started laughing tremendously hard. Like, man, this is going to be a blast because we know what type of energy this guy is. Yeah, uh, and shout out to Mike. Yeah, yeah, well, Matt coming in is huge because it's funny. Uh, Tuesday, I got an email because two of my uh, uh, four properties. Uh, our, our United Wholesale Mortgage that holds the, the <laughs> note on them. Yeah. And they, and they sent the email out, uh, and it was him uh, in a video talking about happy holidays to everybody. But he kept he kept this one arm down, and at some point, I thought he was going to raise it up and say, you know, thanks for, you know, being part of us, and then go Suns or something like that. I was waiting right. for that to happen, but that didn't happen yet. So I, was, I think it's some other things that – uh you know, that's in the mix that he has to go through to, to, to finalize this deal. But it's great that they accepted that offer. And uh, it's going to be a change in the guards. Now, Patrick, I want to ask you, because I've been, uh, like I said, this is my third. I was when Jerry switched to, to Robert. As a fan, does it really, does ownership really matter? Does that, is that a big thing to you? Re regardless of the atmosphere uh, uh, around the team, uh, does, does ownership really matter uh, uh, to a fan? Yeah, and I'll tell you why, especially uh, people that are in arena. So you can feel the culture shift down all the way to our ushers. So the guest service representative, security, that whole culture started to change. And the energy went from like super positive, upbeat, friendly, enjoying their job to uh, you could feel, and they would just frankly say it, uh, people would leave the organization. And, and I, had I have relationships with many of the ushers and um, personnel within the entire organization on the um, operational side. And so obviously hearing them talk about the displeasure, that all for me starts with the head coach, the owner, whatever that is, and, and then that trickles down. And so they, one, made that clear, but two, you could feel it and see it. And so it made our experience less enjoyable or people that don't have season tickets and go just for a game or two and they have, you know, ushers that aren't the most friendly or security they're dealing with that doesn't, you know, contribute to a positive environment. So absolutely, obviously, it's on a whole different spectrum than, you know, personnel that are actually working there day in and day out. But from a fan experience, we absolutely feel uh, the impact of ownership, 
whatever that involves, whether they're hands-on and then how they treat their teams and how they perceive that as well as, you know, when he would walk out, Robert Sarver typically would sit, he started center court court side and then shifted to that corner and that shift, even, you know, the ushers would stage or security, you know, he, he wouldn't be as friendly when he walked by to them or would get additional security to make sure people didn't heckle him or say things. And, and this is like earlier on, this isn't even after, you know, stuff had come out. Obviously once the report was released, he stayed far away uh, from his court site seat most often. So uh, yeah, to your question, I definitely think uh, and know that we feel it as well, but uh, that trickles down through the employees and then out to the fans. Yeah, being an employee of 10 years and five with, with Jerry and five with Robert, I didn't, me and Robert never had, I, I didn't see any uh, situations where he did something wrong. Only thing that uh, between me and him would, would be just discomforting is that, uh, you know, we would be in the back in the hallway and we would pass each other and I would speak and and he never would put his head up or never would even uh, reply back. That's the only thing. And when all this report and everything came out, I just was like, wow, I just did not see none of this or or, or, or any involvement in none of that because it just didn't seem that way. Uh, I've, I've been to his home, uh, uh, shared a flight together. Uh, I just didn't, it, it just didn't come off to me as, as he was that type of person. Uh, uh, but, you know, like I said, it, it, it might be different because a former player and, and you don't really want to, you know, show your, your real side, uh, because of that side, but, you know, and let me ask you, Dana, where, where does he go after the 4 million billion, excuse me, goes through, where does Robert go from here? It, I, I always thought that he would have to relocate out of Arizona because good how, question. How, could, how could he get good service anywhere? after the report really, really comes out on the things and the, and the stuff that he had said and done. It sounds like for what I would guess is that he actually sold his stake um, and uh, he was on the board of his uh, finance company and he had to step down. What's the name of his finance company? Um, uh, is it Alliance Bank? Uh, yeah, Western, Western Alliance Bank, I believe. Yeah, so... The fact is, is he basically has to step down and also he's selling his share of the Suns. So now, uh, if he remains in Arizona, sure. But I see him riding off into the sunset uh, basically as a typical CEO or president or somebody that was a high-ranking official of a company would do. And just, just like Don Nelson, you know, leaving and retiring out in Hawaii, growing his green like he's doing, right? Uh, Robert Sarver probably is looking to go somewhere else uh, for the time being, even though he's a kind of a pariah of the NBA, he's not a pariah elsewhere. So uh, wherever he feels welcome. Now, I'm not sure, but all I know is that from Matt Ishbia coming in with his basketball background, it seems like they're reverting back to an owner with that type of basketball cultural background that Jerry Colangelo had when the team was thriving for most of his years uh, that he was with the Suns. Um, and became the winningest, one of the winningest franchises without a title in the league. So Mishbia having his recruiting background, his finance background, that goes in sync with where James Jones is as a finance guy. He knows how to stretch the books and get the right players. And so this could possibly work with Matt Ishbia being that he coached under Tom Izzo for a year. Obviously, as an assistant coach, you have your territories for recruiting and getting players. So he has some background knowledge of that. And he comes from a Division One level uh, blue blood in Michigan State. So uh, I could see him getting the type of players that are molded 
uh, at Michigan State. Michigan State players actually make for great NBA plays. They may they make for superstars, uh, but uh, the exception of Draymond Green, who I believe is a future Hall of Famer, those guys in Michigan State tend to have longevity in their careers. So, like you, you look at guys like um, yeah, you you you're you're right. The Michigan State guys are not superstars because Magic is not a superstar. At all. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> let me let me let me back up. Got him, Sid. Mac, Magic is the exception, of course. I mean, there are long-term guys like, you know, remember Sean Respert? Sean Respert, Steve Smith. Steve I mean, Smith, he was an all-star. Mateen yeah. Cleaves, he had a couple of years. And you got uh, other guys like, I uh, remember uh, a guy back in the day, Mike Poplowski, <laughs> back in 30, 40, 30 years ago. Jason Richardson. Jason Richardson, yeah. Man. Jay Rich. I mean, those guys, yeah. you know, Zach Randolph. I mean, he wasn't a superstar, but his one-and-done year, he became a guy that actually well, had an identity for a team in Zebo with the Grizzlies, and he played around the league with a couple other teams, including the Knicks. And so I see that you know, with a guy like Matt Ishbia, who has that grounding uh, in, in basketball culture, that that could work for the Suns. And it works like it could be that he's willing to spend the money on the players that Robert wasn't willing to do for so many years. He's being accused of being cheap. And for the most part, he was. Was he not said? Well, like I guess, again, I, I was just employed by him in the in the um, upstairs, but I was never a player under him trying to fight for a contract. Right. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure. I don't know what the Steve Nash deal was. I, I know uh, Cuban really pushed for him and, uh, I don't know if he snatched one for the more money or the security, or I, I have no idea, but uh, it just seems like uh, it, it's it's a little different uh, when it comes to Arizona because it, this is a place a lot of players want to come to. One, not only because of the community, uh, because of the, the the training staff, the facilities, especially yeah. now they got the practice uh, facility is uh, so high tech. Um, uh, the the location you know, easy to get to. If you're a Midwest guy, if you're East Coast guy, South guy, this is, this is kind of a, a great place to be. Uh, weather, uh, we talked about the community, but uh, I, as far as negotiations, I'm not really sure if he was a guy that really, uh, you know, pushed um, the late, uh, my my agent, former agent, uh, Dan Fagan, rest in peace, who was Sean Marion's agent too as well at the time when he was here playing. Uh, you know, I think Sean got some, you know, a pretty good deal. I don't know if if that was a low ball for Sean, I mean, multiple-time All-Star and very great defender, uh, and and re very reliable for that that mystical, magical team that uh, that should have done something. But that was really Jerry's team. I mean, before he transitioned and you know, out of the Suns and sold it to Sarver, and the sale was complete in 2004. So it was really like with the transaction was Nash Stoudemire in 2004 when he was drafted, or 2003 rather, right? Um, and then Sean Marion, Jerry was pretty much constructing that team and Sarver came in and rode the coattails, right? More or right. less. Right. So that's the thing about the difference between Sarver. For those 10 years, obviously the team rebuilt, you know, during the 2010s, but it seemed like those were Sarver's years. The yeah, seven seconds or less years are really the, the product of Jerry Colangelo. Right yeah, they say that about two 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 incidences. One, uh, one obviously Amari Stoudemire going to New York City, right. and um, you know I'm not on the staff now, but at the time, I, I I Amari asked me about that, and I and I just simply said, 
it's New York City, Amari. Like, yeah, right. Bell in New York City, you're going to be on the front page of the post. If you succeed on the in New York City, you're going to be on the back page of the post. So it really doesn't matter what you really go for when you're making a transition from Phoenix to New York City and, and planning the Mecca. And then also, uh, you, you know, the Steve Kerr situation. Uh, you know, Steve was, as he came in as a general manager, he was promised a contract after three years. He he signed Shaq. He kept Nash. He kept uh, Grant Hill. Uh, put that team together. Obviously, uh, with a broken face bone, the Joe Johnson. Who knows what that team probably could have done? And right. uh, when it was time to re up that contract, uh, and they were partners. They were supposed to have been pretty good friends from uh, the U of A days. And he didn't take care of him. So uh, who knows? I mean, I, you know, if he was a guy who didn't really want to shovel out the cash or not. Sure. And so this week is a big, big week for the Suns. It's got a lot of different teams that have superstars. They started with LeBron was out, so they didn't have Westbrook and they didn't have Anthony Davis on Monday. Uh, they started uh, the week on Saturday, really, uh, they, with a win, and then they went into Monday with another win. Devin's comeback performance. Uh, Devin Booker had 58 points on Sunday. I'm sorry, Saturday against the Pelicans in that 24-point comeback win. Phenomenal game to cover. Um, then uh, the Lakers. And then after that, the second of a back-to-back -back was against the Wizards. Uh, Four-point loss. Landry Shamit tied the single-game record for most threes made with nine. Uh, and then Friday they have Ja Morant and the Grizzlies. Uh, at home, and then they go on the road against the Jokic-led Nuggets on Christmas Day. So Christmas Day has a lot of great games, the Knicks uh, and Sixers being one of them at 10 a.m. Arizona time, Mavs-Lakers, uh, that's 12.30 uh, Arizona time, and Celtics-Bucks at 3, Warriors-Grizzlies at 6, and then you have the Jokic-led Nuggets versus the Booker-led uh, you know, sons. And so I, I'm wondering if Booker will be back for that game. He's missed the past two after that 58 point outing against the Pelicans. So where do you see is the most important game that day for uh, the NBA and why do you feel that way? Well, I'm going to go, uh, let's go back a little bit on, on scheduling of this, uh, the return of Chris Paul, you know, they had that little, when he came back, they had the little losing streak there. And then the, the game that, really, I think, got him back in the swing of things was a Clipper game uh, on the road, right? Uh, which was great because after rehabbing and getting himself back, been away from his family, his he lives in Los Angeles, he probably got to see them, uh, some home cooking got you going. And then, you you know, Devin Booker has his situations going on with, the, with his injuries, which is very, very tough. Right. But I think the most important game, and especially now since John ja Morant just came out and says, He's okay in the West. Uh, it will probably be this Friday uh, against uh, uh, Memphis, uh, meaning that uh, obviously it's a target on Jaws' back right now, not only because he's a great player, but now he's, his statement. Uh, but I, that that might be a key matchup. I don't think they, I, I, I don't think they really have a difficult matchup with Denver uh, as far as Jokic being size for size with Aiden. Uh, just depend on what type of game Aiden brings that day. Yeah. Uh, he's not going to have his perimeter game. That's not what he does. But if he punishes uh, the Jokic inside with rebounding and not letting him get a lot of putbacks and and make make it real difficult for him and guys stay solid on their man with with his passing ability, uh, I think that's a possibility in a, in a 
seven-game series to, you know, to eliminate Denver. But when it comes to Memphis, um, it, it's a measuring stick because they're they're in the unknown. You know, they you know they haven't played their big three all together yet. Uh, so being at you know towards the end of the season, the All Star break coming up, uh, and then going into the playoffs, they might be a totally different basketball team and be very dangerous with you know job being the catalyst of their confidence. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Patrick, what's your take on which game is the best? Uh... Besides the Suns Nuggets, <laughs> probably is a- yeah. I don't know if I would say best, but the continued disaster that is a, a Los Angeles Lakers right now with injuries and uh, you know the performances and uh, just everything that uh, comes out of LA. And I say that because, excuse me, they're on national TV so much, regardless of how they're doing, uh, because of obviously. Uh, LeBron James, uh, Anthony Davis, and then it's it's just the Lakers. And so uh, for me, having a spotlight on uh, Christmas Day, I think who is going to suit up and then how competitive are they going to be? I think that plays into it. But, uh, you know, also Golden State. I mean, without Steph Curry, they, they look bad. Um, and then when you talk about, I know we're not talking about the MVP candidate, uh, you know, race, but, you know, the definition of MVP is is showing when these key guys go missing um, or they're out injured rather. And then you see how their teams can perform and win or cannot perform and cannot even compete. Um, right. So I think obviously uh, with, with Steph being out too, it's just, it's very interesting. The injuries happen. So uh, there's nothing, you know, you can do about that piece, but um, it definitely is going to make, in my opinion, for a very very interesting uh, number of games for the NBA this Christmas with some of these key stars that are uh, likely going to be out. Sure. Boston, Boston, Milwaukee game will probably be, you know, very defining on, on that MVP race too with Giannis and, and, and Jason Tatum going head to head. Yeah. Games are very difficult. You know, so the, the, the timing of it is wrong. You, you know, you may or may not have family visiting. If you're on the road, it's, it's a quiet kind of thing. That hotel is, is kind of hush-hush. You may do some things together as a team, but, uh, you know, most of the time the advantage uh, has always been, uh, you know, the team that's on the road because they they, they have a close-knit uh, unit and they're together and they don't have a lot of distractions with, you know, family members and, and, you know, a house full of good food smelling and all that stuff going on. Right. Well, I'm going with Celtics Bucks. Uh, because this is a rivalry that people really don't talk about as a rivalry. It's, it's a playoff rivalry. They've been going up against each other for the past, what, six years? Even when Jason Kidd was a the coach there. Yeah, there was a really hard grind-out series when Jason Kidd was there before he got fired and ended up as an assistant coach in L.A. for the Lakers. So you got two MVP candidates, like you said. Um, and so the thing about... Uh, the Jason Tatum and Giannis thing, but also you have uh, a great young coach going up against a coach of the year winner, two-time coach of the year winner. So Joe Mazzola is proving himself. He won October, November's uh, Eastern Conference Coach of the Month, which is the start of the season. He's proven that this team is the best in the league right now, even though they've been on a skid. Um, Actually, the best team in the league that has been hot has been the Knicks, and I'll segue to the Knicks and Sixers in a second, but the Celtics and Bucks really could be a preview of who decides the East champion come June um, or May, rather. And then you have the other teams like Celtics, uh, I'm sorry, but Sixers and Knicks, where you have a team that just won eight straight. They lost 
to the Raptors on Tuesday night. So uh, that was at the Garden. And also you have a Sixers team, which is the fifth seed. So you have the Knicks that are five and six, uh, right? I'm sorry. Then 76ers and the Knicks that are five and six, respectively, in seeding right now for the East. So that's an I-95 rivalry game for the guys that are, you know, from the East Coast like myself. I'll definitely be interested in that. Knicks are definitely a fixture on Christmas Day, as they've been for so many years. But also, uh, I like the Suns and Nuggets game matchup because that's the number one team in the West right now, the Nuggets versus number four Suns. That could be a Western Conference preview, uh, Western Conference Championship preview as well. And the Grizzlies and Pelicans are in between. So the Grizzlies are number two right now in the West. And they're basically going to be going up uh, for showing where they are with Ja and they're going up against the Warriors that are struggling right now. And like you said, Patrick, nobody knows how. I think the Warriors just need to come to an understanding that this is their time and it's ending. They had a great run. All dynasties come to an end. They kind of remind me of the 90, uh, two, the 92 Pistons, which made the playoffs, but were not the same team as they were dominant through the late 80s into the early 90s when they won back-to-back titles in 89 and 90. And then 91, they got shipped off, um, you know, because the Bulls beat them and started their dynasty. So that's where I see the Warriors at right now. So it's basically look in the mirror game right now for Golden State. Dana dropped the mic on that one right there. Let's let, let, can we dig into that just a little bit with the Golden State Warriors? I mean, uh, because we're looking at Detroit, you know, Isaiah, uh, you know, popping the Achilles, you know, Dumars not being in how the, Dumars is wanting to be the leader of the team, but Isaiah is still that squad. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't put Curry in that category just as yet. Uh, I just think the fight, I, you know, after think, four titles, you don't see them in that we category. Said, we said that before when they were terrible. Yeah. yeah, and then they boom, they won a championship again. You know what I'm saying? They had I to just, rebuild a couple of years, yeah, because you know obviously they lost Steph and then they lost Clay, and so yeah, they they lost their two core guys, just like Isaiah and, and Joe Dumars were their two core guys. I think know, they back just then, need right? to recover from the fight. The, the ever, yeah, true. The fight they, kill, just, it killed the culture. Just, it just killed the culture, and 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 it's most importantly seen on de- on the defensive end because that is Draymond's, you know, calling card, and it just doesn't seem the defense is where it used to be uh, before that. And I don't know what needs to happen if one or the other needs to get traded or uh, Draymond to Phoenix. That, that can happen. <laughs> I, I was gonna say that. But you know, at the same time, it's just like, what what do you do? How do you correct that? I mean, I've, I've uh, I, you know, this is something that was not revealed, but we had a, a altercation on one of my teams with Phoenix, and uh, that was internal and stayed internal. Yeah. But the, the 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 person who initiated it solved it so quickly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They solved it so quick, and I don't know if that's the case when they forced Draymond to solve it, and and was it. Re- a real, you know, hug and, and situation or it was just, all right, I got to do this because they're going to find me and I need to come back to the team for the ring ceremony type of thing. And yeah. and, and I, I just don't think it's it's still setting well. I mean, you see Poole giving high fives and, you know, yelling and screaming when Draymond does things, but it just doesn't seem the same And it, from the rest of the players' perspective on how they respect Draymond and, and, and his voice. 
Yeah, it seems like it's dialed back a little bit. He was the guy that brought the grit to that team that was basically small ball and a lot of extra passes. And it seemed like almost like globe trotters with threes in a way, you know, yeah, for a you couple know of years. Laughing is, is KD. He's like, I see, now you know uh, why. Yeah. Like, he hasn't yeah. said that, but I know in the back of his mind, he's like, see, y'all, now y'all know exactly why I left. I, I can't. I can't be the superstar top five player of the team and uh, of, of, excuse me, of the NBA and have this guy screaming and yelling at me. And, and there's no accountability to that. I, I just. Yeah. The team still ran through Steph, according to Draymond, when KD was there, he did say that in a press conference. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm saying. But at the same time, the fact that he, he's barking at him, I, 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 I can understand. I thought you guys, he's like, I thought y'all wanted me here. Why is this guy barking at me so much? Yeah. Yeah. And that was basically yeah, he, to think about it. You know, Draymond basically is doing what he can to prove to everybody that he is not the guy that's willing to start a fight. And he's trying to basically overcompensate for what he did in order to, basically quell the tension in the room and it's that he created and or that Jordan Poole instigated you know in a way because Draymond's not the type of dude to be told you know that he's a triple single <laughs> according to what you know, the report was and what Jordan Poole said to him I mean that's crazy you yeah, know. but I, I think George like even with the, the, the initial push of Draymond you could tell Poole was just playing yeah yeah, Raymond wasn't playing, so right, right. touchy situation. Yeah, and so and the thing with the the Pistons, like I saw a clip of Dennis Rodman being on a VH1 show where he said that a teammate screwed yeah. his wife. Yeah, and that killed the chemistry of the Pistons too. You know, which is why he asked for the trade and why he had been sitting in that truck, you know, with the shotgun, and so. That really killed him, his his uh, whole demeanor and basically wanting to be in Detroit. And he ended up in San Antonio back in 93. Was that Detroit or Chicago team? No, that was Detroit when he was in the truck with the shotgun and threatening to, allegedly threatening to kill himself. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, I remember. I just was talking about his wife's situation. Oh, no, that was in Detroit. Okay, all right. I was in Detroit, and that's why he was so distraught that he said he thought his teammates were like brothers to him, that they would actually go and do that. Yeah. You know, so, and, and you're right about chemistry. Once it's gone, it's hard to get it back, if ever. You know, right. it's so, yeah. But I wanted to conclude this by saying thank you all for listening to us, and thank you both for another great episode. Patrick Patillo, Dr. Patillo is what you should call him. Congratulations on your PhD. And also, this is Christmas week, so said, what are you planning to do for Christmas? And also, uh, what exactly for New Year's? Uh, me, me, Christmas is always uh, food. I'm a, I'm a visit. This is the first time in a while I have not been uh, a part of an organization in 30-plus years. So I get to visit other people that I wasn't allowed to visit. So I'm going to be food hopping the whole day. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, New Year's is usually quiet for me. Uh, just, you know, watching the ball drop. I'm usually asleep by by time of New Year's, so. Be about you, watch, you watch the East Coast ball drop on TV before you fall asleep, huh? Yeah, I, 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 I try to stay up that much, Doc. I tried to, but I can't. No doubt. No doubt. Patrick, what about yeah, you? Yeah, for me, uh, well, the Suns game tomorrow night, so Santa Orange will be in the house uh, mm -hmm. doing that and then uh, spend some time with my father. Yeah. Uh, 
Christmas Eve, uh, working on some training. He's getting discharged uh, to a group home from the rehab facility next Tuesday. Uh, so that's a blessing for us all. So we'll oh, go up congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's been uh, 16 months almost now, so wow. a long journey. And then I uh, just cherish that time together. Uh, we wrap up um, the Visit Mesa tournament for basketball tonight against Sunny Slope at 6. Uh, so we'll wrap that up and then practicing uh, into next week uh, before we get into the new year and continue the second half of the season. And shout out to your player and top student, Andrew Camacho, for scoring 40 points last week, man. Now, that's yeah, phenomenal. yeah, he's big time. You dropped 40, 15, and what? Uh, 40, 15, and 7. Yeah. Star numbers, man. Gaudy, gaudy, you know, no doubt. That's what about you, Dana? First first Christmas with the baby. Yeah, my daughter and I and my wife are going to Atlanta to visit my wife's family. Uh, we'll be there through January 4th, uh, starting on Christmas Eve. That's going to be fun. So we look forward to that, spending some time away and uh, enjoy the holidays, watching a lot of TV, catching up on a lot of uh, Netflix and a lot of food and weight training as much as I can to keep myself in check because during that time, it's so easy to get caught up in just like all the stuff you eat and just not care about what you eat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just, oh, yeah. so yeah, I got to keep my regimen going, but that's where I'm at. And that's what it'll be. Thank you all again for having uh, us in your ear. And uh, for Patrick Patillo and Seth Boss, I'm Dana Scott. This is the Inferno episode 20. Till next week. Peace, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.